Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. On yesterday's program, we had the privilege of having Gary Mays talking about the cultural shift and its impact of families since the turn of the century, since post-World War II, some of the new technologies that have been introduced into our society, but just the family in general and some of the pressures that impacts families, specifically Christian families, as they try to establish their homes on the principles and teaching of God's Word, discipling their children, Christian parents discipling their children to carry the gospel on to future generations. But Gary Mays is back with us today. Gary has been in the ministry for over 40 years on church staff. He's led youth ministries. He's probably had countless sleepless nights at sleepovers. Is that right, Gary? I've had a few sleepless nights and a lot of pizza. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, I want to back up because part of your ministry goes back into the 1970s when you had a band, a Christian band, that traveled around the country, played music, and talked about Jesus. We uh, we did. I went to Mississippi College. We had a Christian group there, horn section and rhythm section and singers. You know, most Baptist churches, I'm Baptist, they never had anything rolled in and plugged up before. So <laughs> we were loud. I often told folks, you know, I'm sorry it's a little loud, but if you ask the Notre Dame marching band to play in your kitchen, it's going to be loud. And I apologize for that. But we would do uh, concerts across the country in churches schools, university settings, revivals, the whole smear of opportunities. Was it kind of like that band called Truth? You remember the Christian band Truth back in the 70s? Or were you guys more hardcore than Truth? No, we were a whole lot of Truth. <laughs> I used to say we were a poor man's Truth. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Truth, Roger Breland and those guys were really kind of role models in many ways, particularly musically and we did a lot of what Truth did. We were just one increment smaller and about five and a half increments cheaper. So it just worked out great. There were a lot of groups much like ours. We were on the road from 78 to uh, 81 and all over. But really, from Denver East, we did everything we could think of doing in those three and a half years or so. Well, what's the funniest thing that happened to you on the road? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's a great question. Um you know, I didn't really see that coming. I will tell you this. A couple of different opportunities came in New Orleans. We did a major youth rally with about 10,000 kids at the amusement park at Lake Pontchartrain. I've been there before. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like 23 years old. I'm the director of this group. I can't even spell liability insurance. I, mean, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. I mean, we're we're trusting God, and it's all full speed ahead. Why these parents trusted their kids with me, I still don't know, outside of the grace of God. But we're at Lake Pontchartrain. They put us on top of a flat-roofed building to play over about 10,000 kids. PA system, you know, I think we're at Woodstock, plus Jesus. I mean, we're, we're pretty excited. And I eased out of a side gate, an employee-only gate, to go back to our, our interesting little bus. And I was walking back through the gate, and I almost got tackled literally by two New Orleans policemen who were pretty sure I was breaking into the event. <laughs> and let me just tell you, Byron, the New Orleans police, they don't play. You know, I'm doing my best song and dance to try to explain who I am and what we're doing. 
And you would have thought I was a uh, high-level terrorist at the time. <laughs> I, I thought they were going to wrestle me to the ground. It, oh, my. But I survived it. I finally talked my way out of that. We had some great experiences. We met an incredible number of great people. Uh, even years later, it's been 40 years, and I meet people pretty regularly who remember the day or somebody came to Christ or they were encouraged or they surrendered to ministry on the retreat that we led at some point. It's a privilege to be in a season of life where you can look back. And I know God is using those experiences that you've been able to help invest in others, you know, that are trying to build ministries or maybe have had a breakdown in their ministry and need encouragement, needing some support. Yeah. Well, it's been a uh, it's been a privilege to serve. It is an interesting season for me. I'm speaking and coaching and consulting, and I just want to make sure that uh, I am in the center of God's will and my life counts for the kingdom in this season. Amen. I agree with that. Hey, Gary, we were talking on our last program yesterday about this parenting cultural shift and some of the challenges, particularly to Christian parents as they train up their kids in adverse culture toward the principles and teachings of Christ. When we talk about millennials, are we seeing new trends as how millennials are raising children? Because they're at that age now. They're in that young family age between 24 and 38 where they're getting married, starting to have families. Are we seeing trends how millennials are raising children compared to how baby boomers raise their children? I think so. The research that I read, the books that I read, the blogs that I follow from the people who do the hard statistical work, suggests that millennials are driven by mission. They have a more minimalist approach to the acquisition of things. They're not as purchase-oriented in the sense of big-ticket items and those kind of things. But they tend to be more global community. They think in a community larger than their immediate proximity. And I would think that they're modeling that for their children as their children are raised. It is a version for me in my season of life It's another expression of your kids don't want your stuff. They're not interested in the things that we accrued. They want to have experiences. They're more likely to move toward minimalism, kind of a wing and a prayer, more adventurous, more uh, travel savvy. They'll go places, do things, and know more about issues, items, and culture than we would ever have known, than a technology and, and the bigger view. You know, I grew up with even in my faith, the early years of ministry, where I wanted to serve a church, have a youth group, or have a church that was a great community, and we were growing together, discipling people, and reaching people, of course. But now, if you think about the conferences and the websites and the global presence of thought leaders, my millennial friends, particularly the ones that are believers who follow Jesus, they're listening to the best communicators and the strongest teachers they can find. They are interested in the best of the best to align their lives and their families with Christ. So it's really quite hopeful. Just this weekend, I just happened to talk to a millennial who is married for about, uh, I guess, two years now. They're having their first baby in the next couple of weeks. He was so excited, there was a, (laughs) can I use the term, odored person teaching God's Word so clearly as you did at High Point Church on Sunday. They really were looking forward to gleaning from someone older teaching the Word. Uh Uh-huh. There's a lot of that. I have these conversations with pastors and leaders in churches pretty regularly, and there is a realistic, pragmatic, it works because it works sort of strategy that says you want to have a presence 
of all kinds of people and all kinds of seasons of life, diverse congregations and the rest, true. But the fact is, it's being empirically seen in research surveys, assessments all over the place, that young adults want to know how to live their life. And they trust, and this is a cliche and sometimes more true than others, but they would rather have the sage from the sage than just facts. Yeah. They want to know, can we live our life in a way that makes sense, whether in the gospel or in practical other ways? And I think your friend nailed it. I think that's a common millennial viewpoint. Yesterday when we were talking, I don't want our listeners to come away with thinking everything was so negative. Talk about cultural shift and the things that we've experienced over the past 50-plus years. Let's talk about some of the uh, positive results that we've seen that's good for family and for building family today based on the cultural shift. We've got resources at our fingertips that, if utilized, give us the best teaching of look into the Word of God challenges to go globally, to share Christ with every tribe and tongue and nation in ways that somebody my age would never have experienced in my 20s, outside of some sort of Christian conference, denominationally maybe. But every day, oh my gosh, my believer friends are challenged in their walk every day by the people that God's using in powerful ways, the resources, the ministries, the number of nations and languages worldwide who are receiving the gospel, not just in one-on-one relationship witness, but the gospel in the Word of God translated. The technology in the world we live in today is a very, very privileged place. In so many ways, we live in the best of times. Uh, in other ways, the speed and the pace of life and the opportunities and the dis- distractions in life are just they're more complicated, yeah. navigating different stuff than we did a generation ago. But it's interesting, Gary, the same God, God of all creation, is the same God for this generation as he was for the previous generations. The truth of God's Word is still applicable to us right now today. 100%. And one of the good sides of, you know, today, I noticed that Life Church, based in Oklahoma, 60, 70,000 people, their locations all over the country, they put the Bible app, help me with it here, Byron, I lost the name of the app itself, but the Bible on my iPhone has now been downloaded 340 million times Wow! in the last 10 years. Today is the 10th anniversary of that Bible app. And the icon for that is a brown-looking Bible with a red bookmark that says Holy Bible on it. Absolutely. 340 million times. That's incredible. And also, I mean, while you've got me rolling here, but when we now have the capacity to understand, for instance, what's happening in the Far East in the area of house churches and the gospel spreading like wildfire in ways we would have never known a generation ago by the limitations of media and communication, we know many times how God's at work. Oh, I know. It's incredible. I was talking to Gary Whitmore, who is a representative with TWR, and they do ministry all over the world, and they translate into over 200-plus languages. And these little simple SIM cards, they can get into people groups where there's no open churches, and the gospel is not permitted to be publicly spoken, because cell phones are so accessible now all over the world That's right. that they can install these simple little SD small cards. They've got the entire Bible. You can read it That's in their right. language. You know, it's incredible. It is incredible. You may know... Training Pastors International. Yeah. 
CPI, Greg Moore, who is the executive director of that ministry. Here you go, Byron. Here's a bringing it all around. Greg was our lead singer 40 years ago on the road. That's crazy. He's the executive director of Training Pastors International, and literally thousands of Central American and Cuban pastors have been trained to lead and shepherd their people by using God's Word. And it's an incredible time to know about that and to be able to intercede, pray, and cheer and champion and give and donate and support in ways we might not have ever known. Wow, that is so exciting. It really is. Well, let's go back to this parenting topic and specific differences from the way you and Kathy brought up your two children compared to the way your parents brought you guys up. Uh, yeah, that's kind of apples and oranges just a tad. My parents would have described themselves at best as backslidden Methodists, really didn't attend church. They were incredibly supportive in so many ways. I had a bunch of friends growing up who said my parents would make great examples for Christian parents. They were awesome but they were not articulate about their faith, little reserved in how they saw God's Word displayed in our home, uh, okay with it, but they were not leading in that way. But the culture at the time, when we talk about parenting, let me give you a very quick example, Byron. I was a Boy Scout, 11 to 14. I was a Boy Scout. I achieved Eagle at 14. I was senior patrol leader. I did the whole tour. Okay, you feel me? I got you. I was just a tenderfoot. I didn't make it as high as you did, Gary. Come on, man. <laughs> me, I could tie my knots, though. Well, as I said last show, I was raised in Columbus, Mississippi. My dad was Air Force. He retired when I was 10. I joined the troop on the Air Force Base. And later it dawned on me that our scoutmasters were grizzled old sergeants that had either been in Korea or World War II or recently at that point in Vietnam. And these were some tough old birds, man. They were pretty tough. I learned some good things, bad things probably, but here's what they did. They didn't baby us. So at 14, I went to summer camp, and at the last minute, our scoutmaster and the assistant couldn't go. There'd been a situation on the base. They could not go. Well, the bus took us to camp, Boy Scout camp, and we went into our cabin. It had a little loft with two bunk beds. And four of us who had some ranks stayed there, and the other 20-something guys slept downstairs. For a week, Byron, I was in charge of our cabin. I was the functional scoutmaster as the Eagle Scout senior patrol leader for 24 guys for a week. Now, think about this. There wasn't an adult in there, but they trusted me at 14 to be responsible. Now, I'm not recommending that that was genius. I'm not suggesting for a moment that I would encourage anybody to do that. But now we live in a culture where the thought, we don't trust a 14-year-old with a remote control. No. I remember when we were 16 years old, Gary, students who drove their pickup trucks to school, some of them had gun racks in the back of their window and would have a 12-gauge shotgun, and no one said anything about it parked in the high school parking lot. Somebody said that to me the other day. Going to high school back in the day, everybody had the gun rack in the car or might have had a gun in their trunk if they're driving the sedan. Nobody shot anybody. Nobody thought about shooting anybody. It was just a part of that culture, and you manage that responsibly. A lot more jobs and a lot more old-fashioned discipline, good or bad. Different days then. Our kids, we tried to speak to decision-making and consequences, not rescue our kids, try to communicate grace toward others. 
help our kids take responsibility for any decisions they made. And uh, it turns out if you forget your lunch and you get hungry, you're more likely to carry your lunch the next day. That's right. Which is different than running down to the school every time your child forgets their lunch. I grew up in a single-parent home. And even in the, the 70s, my mom knew the importance of me being mentored by men to teach me how to be a guy and do guy things. And so right. I was heavily involved with Scouts, Cub Scouts, Weeblos, Boy Scouts, right. and then uh, later got involved with the discipline of karate, Taekwondo, when I was right. a junior in high school. And even saw the importance of me taking a gun safety course so I would know how to handle a shotgun to go hunting, you know? That's right. Well, we have sort of traded some of those experiences and assumptions about growing kids up with keeping our kids busy instead. Well, hey, Gary, we would play with wood-burning kids, you know? <laughs> these, these things heat up to, what, about 300 degrees Fahrenheit, lawn darts in the front yard. You remember those? I do. Uh, crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, we see these articles if you're on social media, but they're true. Literally, uh, we lived in a subdivision with half a dozen houses. It was a new subdivision when we moved in. And it was literally, we expect you home when the streetlights come on. My mother didn't think twice about it. My sister and I would play. We would play Army with our two friends, or we would be secret agents, or we would explore a new house build or something, hang out with our friends or ride our bikes. Now, if you follow the news, you know, there are places where if you're under 14 or 16, it's considered negligent if you're not with your kid, literally. Our world has taken a pendulum swing, and then we wonder why 18-year-olds go to college, go buck wild, shake their fist in the face of, of the faith they grew up in, and experiment in every way possible. And I know these are very broad brush lines, sure. but we wonder why that happens. Well, we haven't built adult thinking or frontal lobe brain development about decision-making and consequences well in our kids. We've protected them, we've warehoused them, we've kept them busy, we've entertained them, and we've become kid-centric. Honey, what do you want to do today? What would you like to eat? Do you want that? Where do you want to go to the movie tonight? What are you going to do tonight? What's your friends doing? You know, what kind of shoes do I need to buy you? We live in that kind of world, and we're getting those kind of results. And I, again, to your listeners, these are very broad-brush statements. I mean, they're, they're very broad-brush. They may not apply to you, your family, or your family's best friend, but Generally speaking, Byron, kids do not have, because of distraction and discretionary time and all the entertainment options and the, the screen time and the rest, they don't always have the social discipline and the, the responsibility that teach the kind of things that now we talk about when we talk about adulting. We don't do a lot of that. Suddenly, we think they ought to be an adult with the day they graduate from college or the day they graduate from high school. And generally, they are not. Just true. We know, Gary, every upcoming generation will be named based on the Greek alphabet. We talked about millennials. We talked about baby boomer generation. The current generation being born in 2013 and the birth ends in 2015 is the generation alpha. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but I was looking at some uh, research. This gentleman uh, gave five predictions for this particular generation. 
They will be more entrepreneurial generation. They will be more successful entrepreneurs because they will have had taken more risk earlier and had time to build reputations and relationships before millennials. They will be the most tech savvy and not know a world without social networking. They will gravitate to applications that are extremely easy to use and visual and expect everything to be customized to their needs. They will primarily shop online and have less human contact than previous generations. There will be a clear psychological challenges with this generation as they will feel more alone despite being so connected. They will be extremely coddled and influenced by their Gen X and Y parents So if you want to sell them or hire them, their parents should be part of your marketing campaign. And then the fifth thing he says about this generation, they will be more self-sufficient, better educated, and prepared for big challenges. The divide between rich and poor will become much more apparent with the alpha generation. And my two granddaughters now fit into that generation. Mm -hmm. Those are interesting. Some of them sound slightly conflicted. Yeah. Those are very interesting predictions. Yeah, I've... Generation Y, Y letter, typically millennials. Some have talked about the generation before this alpha generation as Generation Z, uh, Homelander generation, uh, is sometimes called post 9-11, basically. So it's those kids older than the generation you're talking about the next few years up. Xennials is the generation birth between 75 and 85, just before that time. At 85, then to millennials, which my son's in the middle of. And then there's a Generation Z, post-9-11. All they've known is terrorism. They've been aware of it all their life, uh, uncertainty. They've always had a touch screen, and their phones have always been smart. You think about what comes with that, uh, more connected, simultaneously more isolated. According yeah. to your, your predictions just a moment ago. Yeah, we, we live in a complicated world. Uh, human development requires mentoring, real relationships, some skills that will not be found in your phone. It is scary to me that every coherent thought that man has ever thought, it seems, is available within four seconds on a smartphone. Yeah. And yet we have a difficult time saying hello or carrying on an undistracted conversation in a restaurant. I mean, it's, it's a world we live in. Yeah, I go out sometimes, you'll see mom, dad, and daughter, and son all on their smartphones, you know, and not engaging in conversation at all. It happens. My wife and I, we battle that because we have kids who are on theirs. We have responsibilities and jobs and friends and people our age. You know, we communicate that a lot. I've got to figure out how to negotiate those waters. Uh, Sometimes I'll call either my kids or somebody that I've worked with in their mid-20s to mid-30s. And I'll kid them and say, hey, I know I I broke the rules. I should have texted you instead of having to <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. That's my biggest challenge. I'm trying. Yeah, well, I can text, but it, it text is transactional, theoretically, because you can't do inflection. Vent, thus, the emoji. Yeah, right. yeah. And we try to figure it out that way. Too, Gary, I think we as baby boomers need to be a little understanding because— One of the things that millennials can do, they can multitask a whole lot better than you and I can. I'll see a millennial texting while they're doing something kind of technical in a job face, and there's a sense where you you do need to be cautious with that, but we also got to give them some room because they are able to do things that you and I couldn't do. Well, for me, to text requires focus. For a millennial, broadly, 
it is second nature. Yeah. It's almost like those moments where I can drive and wonder what happened the last 30 miles. I mean, I was driving, I was paying attention to the road, but I have no idea where I was. And we're not advocating texting and driving, Gary. No, I'm not at all. <laughs> but I'm saying, for me, I can multitask with things that are second nature. Yeah. So I can talk to my wife in the car and drive and do two things at one time. For a lot of millennials, they can text with both thumbs at 1,000 miles an hour and not think twice about it. The, the research challenges the, the concept of multitasking it says we really don't multitask. Our brain switches back and forth, and it defies real focus. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that research plays out over this generation. Yes, it will. Well, Gary, our time on this second show today is coming to an end. I want our friends to be sure and go to your website, GaryMays.com. If you're looking for, as a church staff, to bring someone in to do a, a conference or a leadership forum, Gary would be a great resource. Go to GaryMays.com. Other speaking events that Gary could assist you in. Just some one-on-one coaching and leadership for those. You don't have to be in the ministry. You could be a business owner and needing some coaching and running your business through some really solid leadership principles. Again, I would encourage you to talk with Gary Mays and go to GaryMays.com. For the past couple of weeks, Gary has been teaching a series at High Point Church, the East Campus in Memphis, and he'll be back this Sunday for part two in his series in Ephesians. Any word on that series, Gary? Uh, having a great time. The difficulty with Ephesians is it is so much. We are finishing up a little bit of the truth from the first chapter. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, and then we'll look at some truths about who we are in Christ in chapter two. It'll be a fun day. High Point is such a sweet place and a gracious place and thirsty place. Just been a pleasure to be there. Well, Gary, it's our pleasure to have you on Mid-South Viewpoint these past two days. Thank you for joining us. I'm looking forward to having you come back and talk about other things, whatever might be on your heart and mind. I would love to. Byron, thank you for the chance to be with you, sir. Bless you. That's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.